right. How you guys doing? Morning. morning. Good. You guys doing well this morning? Hey, you know what? Uh, I thought I'd dress up a little bit today. So go Cubs. Amen. Amen. They're having a winning season so far. I know, Mark. I know. I know. Your team's even out of it because they're just all sick. <laughs> so, but hey, so glad to have you with us this morning. I get the pleasure of closing out the Nehemiah series, um, rebuilding. And so today, you know, um, what we're going to look at is a little bit of how the Israelites celebrated, but also something else that happened. And so what I thought about in celebration was this year, my boys have, um, the last couple years actually, have been playing baseball and I've had the opportunity to coach them and to just uh, work with them in fielding and batting and hitting and, and all those different things. It's been a pleasure, a, a joy of mine to be able to help my kids, but also other kids as well as I coach them. But this last uh, year and a half, we've really taken some extra steps to um, help the boys hit better. We hired a great coach that attends this church to help them in, in hitting the ball better. And, well, I tell you what. It paid off this year with my oldest son and my, my middle son, Cameron, and both in their, their batting averages getting better. But my oldest son, especially, as, as he uh, took some huge strides in hitting. I remember it like this. This is how it happened. It was the last game of summer ball for Parker. They had just lost the game earlier. They, were in the, they had a chance to be in the one or two seed in the tournament. They had lost that first game. They're going to the, the second game here for third and fourth place. And here's, what's, here's what happens. Here's how I remember how it happened, right? On Parker's first at bat, he hit a hard ground ball to third base, right? It was hit extremely well, but the third baseman jumped. Ball went right between his legs. Parker got a single, right? E5, air on the third baseman. Parker gets on base, but not really a hit, right? He gets on base. So Parker, before he goes back out into the field, he comes over to get some water, and uh, he says, hey, Dad, how about that hit? How, how was that hit, Dad? And I was like, it was okay. How about you get it up in the air next time? He just gave me a little smile, a little grim. He said, okay, I can do that. Walks back to the dugout, gets ready to go on the field, and lo and behold, I just kind of forget about that moment. We just keep watching the game, having a good time, talking, encouraging the boys, watching them play baseball. Then Parker gets up to bat, right? First, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to think. I'm, gonna th I'm not going to think it. You know, like the dad, I hope he does it, right? But it's like, nope, I'm just going to put my expectations aside. I just want him to get a good, solid hit. Just get on base. Hit the ball hard. That's all I want you to do. And lo and behold, something happens. I want you to watch this. Right after that, Parker runs in, he clears the bench, you know, all the teammates meet him at home, home play, he hits a home run, and, he's, and he's, it's funny because we're all celebrating, you all hear us, my dad's there, he's like, that, that's over, and my mom's like, woo, you know, my mom's out of her seat, and I'm out of my seat, I'm doing Game Changer, the app, and I'm like, woo, and we're all celebrating, and there goes Camden running, I gotta get the baseball, right, and that's what he does, he goes and gets the baseball for his but we're all excited, we're all celebrating, because 
it's paid off. That wasn't his first home run that year. He had uh, three, if you ask him, two over the fence, one in the park, you know. So um, they're still home runs, right? But, but the hitting, the hard work, the commitment, it paid off this year. We start to see Parker hitting the ball better, Camden hitting the ball better, right? And we got to celebrate those moments with them. And I, I think it's important for us to understand that I know that baseball is just a game, but one thing I love about baseball, I love about sports in general, is there's so many lessons that we learn on the court or on the field that we can apply to our lives, right? And as we look at the last two chapters here in Nehemiah, we're gonna see how they celebrated some wins, but also where they failed in their own, own rights as well. And so I want us to look at that. But I think it's important that we all understand that we all have things to rejoice about as well, not just baseball, right? We have all kinds of different things that we've worked hard for, days, hours, weeks, months, years even, at times that we've worked for these things, things that eventually we get to celebrate, but the hard work, the day in, the day out of it, is grueling sometimes. I think about getting straight A's on a report card, or graduating from high school or college, getting your GED, the birth of a baby boy or a baby girl, maybe after multiple tries, right? The adoption that finally went through a birthday, an anniversary, a promotion at the job, paying off the house, getting out of debt. Those are things we celebrate, right? Things that we've all experienced at some point maybe in our lives. Maybe there are other celebrations you even recognized, but there are things that we celebrate. What we're going to look at and see with the Israelites is the celebration of one final step, and that's rebuilding the walls and completing that rebuilding here in Nehemiah. But what I want us to do is just take a quick look and just kind of look back and see what happened, what transpired before this. I think we have to, it's important for us to remember that for 52 days, it took them 52 days to complete the walls, right? It took them 52 days to do that, and it took seven different times that they were confronted by Sambalat and Tobiah that they were confronted as they rebuilt these walls. But they had to continue to persevere, continue to be disciplined. Nehemiah strategically and systematically and passionately led them day in and day out to rebuild the walls, to finish what they had started. In chapters 8 through 11, Nehemiah continues. He didn't just stop at the walls. He also continued to rebuild the the sacred elements, to build up the leadership and put them in place, put the society back together so that all the things that God had asked them to do, they were in order before Nehemiah had to return because he had to return as he promised the king to go back and be his cupbearer. So we're going to read here in Nehemiah 12. We're going to skip through some of the verses because there's a lot of names. A lot of names that explain who Nehemiah put in charge of the, of, the, of the temple and the singers and the musicians. And so we're going to begin in verse 27. I'm not going to try to pronounce most of those names because I'll fail miserably at most of them. So as you read through them, do your best to, to, to list them out when you read this at home. But let's begin in verse 27. So Nehemiah 12, verse 27 through 31. Let's begin there. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres, 
And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Nedophilites. See, it's a hard word. Also from Beth Gilgah and from the region of Geba and Asmabath. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate. Then skip to verse 38. Give you a second to get there. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with the hall of the people, half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, and by the gate of Yashana, and by the fish gate, and the tower of Haniel, and the tower of the hundred, to the sheep gate, and they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of the God. And then one final skip here to verse 43. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. See, today they rebuilt the wall in that day. They finished it. And Nehemiah, he made a big, huge celebration out of it. He had them all gathered together and the priests and the musicians. And what I love about it is he sends up these two groups of people, of musicians, singers. He sends them on two different paths. But it's not just like inside the city walls. It's not like they just had a party to themselves. No, he says, I want you on top of the wall. I want to see, I want you to show how strong the walls are. I want, I want the people outside who confronted us, I want them to see you celebrating what God has done through you. I want them to see that the commitment we have, that we are a nation, we are God's chosen people, and we have completed the walls. It wasn't just because he wanted to have a party. No, it was a sign. It was almost like he was thumbing his nose at Sambalat and Tobiah and saying, look at us. Look what God has done through us. Nehemiah led them through that. I love it that you hear there in, in verses uh, 43 that the sound of rejoicing could be heard far away. It reminds us of the book of Ezra. When we look at the altar's dedication in Ezra 3, cha uh, chapter 3, verses 12, that they had a celebration there when the altar was completed. That the temple, when it was completed in Ezra chapter 6, that they celebrated there. See, we see, we see these celebrations happen as they completed these tasks in honoring and obeying God and having Nehemiah at the helm. See, this is the pinnacle of the story, right? This is the home run, right? This is what we've been waiting for. This is what we've been working for. We're here. The walls are rebuilt. Man, Jesus is coming. Let's go home, right? That's exactly what they're, they're doing here. And it's a great celebration. But it's not the end of the story. See, remember I told you Nehemiah had to return. He had to go back to Persia to return as a cupbearer to the king. But he had found favor with the king to do what he needed to do to help rebuild the walls, to play his part in this. But he had to return. See, the baseball season only lasts so long, right? And we get into the off season, 
And for us, we have other sports, but for most major league players, for college players, that offseason is a time to work. It's a time to prepare, time to fix things that aren't working right. But we see the Israelites take a different course of action. One we see them take many times before. And what happens is the celebration returns to complacency. As Nehemiah is gone, we see the priest, Eliashab, he, takes, he allows favor to take precedence over sacred space. Remember that guy that I mentioned, Tobiah? He was a guy that the whole time kept fighting Nehemiah, kept saying, no, you don't need to rebuild your walls, kept trying to get him in trouble. He kept doing all these things to confront the Israelites saying, no, 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 you can't do this. We don't want you to do this. You can't do this. And Eliashib, the priest, goes, oh, man. Tobiah comes to him and says, hey, can I use one of your storehouses? And he gives in. A sacred space, a space that's supposed to be kept holy The priest gives it to Tobiah to use for his own personal possessions and goods. In chapter 13, verse 6, Nehemiah is allowed to come back. And finally, and once again, Nehemiah's got to remind people what they're there for, why they rebuilt the walls, why the temple was rebuilt, why the altar was rebuilt. We see Nehemiah He learns of Tobiah's tendency there at the temple and he throws him out. All his belongings, kicks him out on the street. He discovers that the food allowance that the Israelites, that they were supposed to give to the priests so that the musicians and the singers could have all the food that they needed to do the work of God, that that had stopped, right? That had stopped giving the food to them and they had to go back out into the fields to work As in verse 11, chapter 13 there, we see that disobedience begins to take precedence. Remember, the celebration returned to complacency and they start breaking the Sabbath in chapters uh, 13, verses 15 through 16. They're violating the law and an oath sworn to Nehemiah in chapter 10. They open a farmer's market in the temple. Takes me to Jesus when he cleans out the temple supposed to be a house of prayer and you've made it a den of thieves nehemiah returns to this they've opened up a farmer's market in the temple they're desecrating the sabbath on chapters 13 verses 17 through 18 and then we see nehemiah confront the nobles there in judah in verse 17 nehemiah then in verse 19 chapter 13 there orders the gates to be closed he says all the merchants away, but they're so bent on getting their money, they camp outside the walls. So Nehemiah sets his guards at the, at the gates. It's kind of funny because what happens here is you see a little bit of even Nehemiah changing. It reminds me of my kids. You know how with your kids at home, you can be like, everything's going great, Right? And then you walk into the room and you look under the bed and there's plates and cups and silverware and there's wrappers. This just happened yesterday to me. (laughs) And you get in there and you're just like, what are you doing? I've asked you to clean your room up and the clothes are piled up, hanging over the ceiling fan and... 
the shoe rack and the desk and you're supposed to do this daily. It's a task that we've given you, a chore that we've given you to do daily and lo and behold, you've just been stuffing it under the bed. Nehemiah, I see this in him as he goes through this. I see that he's like, what do you guys not get? We did all this work. We faced all this confrontation. We, we battled these people. We, we carried a sword in one hand, right, and a trowel in the other. And what did you not get? What did you not get about this? Nehemiah starts to get a little angry and frustrated. He rebukes them and curses them. He even resolves to beating them and pulling out their hair. I don't do that to my kids. Sometimes I want to, but. But Nehemiah, I think in this regard, looks like a father with his kids. He's frustrated. Because in him, it's like we did all this together. Not just me. All of us together, we did this. We were able to get all the things, all the structures back in place that God had asked us to do so that we could serve God and we could be his people. And all you've done has gotten comfortable and complacent again. And that complacency has led to corruption. That complacency has led to corruption. So it's important for us to realize and take a look at this and go, how do we prevent this in our own lives? The home run is great. Making the team is great. But does the work stop there? Is that the pinnacle? Is that all that we want? We know if we've ever played in any sports, that's just the beginning, right? Because you have a new coach, right? You have a new team that you have to learn. You have a new endeavor. Maybe it's a new position at your job. Maybe it's at home and there's just troubles and you're trying to rectify those, right? Maybe it's in the marriage. What can you do to not let that complacency lead to corruption? How can you become recommitted recommitted to see that love pursue, to see that promotion work, to see you get the position on the team that you want, to get the grades that you want? How can we become less comfortable? That's really easy for us, isn't it? To be less comfortable so that we don't become complacent. I think it happens in different ways. I think I look back to Parker and, you know, he didn't make the team, baseball team last year. You know, we've always played on an independent travel team because we always wanted to control the schedule a little bit more um, for good reasons so that we didn't have to be gone every weekend, right? Um, but I know that at some point, if he wants to play school ball, which he is, you know, him and Camden both made it this year. And so that's a, that was a win for us. Can't imagine how proud I was because I remember what it felt like to not make the sixth grade basketball team. But I remember it has a, you have a choice, right? Then and there, I'm either going to work harder, or I'm going to find something else new, right? And they worked harder. They both worked harder. And Camden, his face when his name was on that list, golden. But it's just one celebration, right? And it's in a game that's not eternal. It's non-eternal. It's for the moment, right? It's just for now. 
But I remember the days that my boys said yes to Jesus and when they got baptized on the stage. That's eternal. That's a celebration we hold on to. That's a celebration that lasts an eternity. And we need to see more of those in our church. Not just on Sundays, but every day throughout the week. See, practice isn't popular, but it is beneficial. Daily work takes discipline and determination, not just passion. We can get all excited about something. We see this in the Israelites. We can get all excited about it, but if there isn't a motive, a determination, a commitment behind it, it's just passion. It'll fizzle out. We see this again in the Old Testament. The Israelites let out of Egypt. They're crying out for freedom, right? Let us, let us be free. We don't want to sit underneath the tyranny of Pharaoh. And then they get free, right? God leads them out of Egypt. They come to the Red Sea. They're wandering in the desert. And then what do they do the whole time? They just whine, 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 whine. Why did you bring us out here? Take us back. Take us back. They come to the promised land. They send out spies. God told them, this is your land. You're, you've been given this land. All you have to do is take it. Two come back with a good report and 10 don't. And they go, no, we don't want to take the land. So they wander in the desert for 40 years because of their disobedience and their lack of faith and their lack of trust. They ask for an earthly king. And God reminds them, he'll ask a lot of you. Are you willing to pay that price? Yes, we're willing to pay that price. So they give him, God gives him King Saul, and he asks that of them, but they whine. And the taxes and the men that they have to supply for the armies. Time and time again, we see that throughout the Old Testament. We see that throughout our own lives. But what I love about the word of God is the New Testament and what Jesus has done. And I love the words out of Zechariah 4, 6. It says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. When Jesus came, when Jesus died, when Jesus walked out of that tomb and when he went up to heaven, he promised what? The Holy Spirit to come. No longer in the Old Testament are we rely, relying upon one individual. Throughout the Old Testament, we see one man, a lot of times, or one woman who's leading the charge, who's taking up the reins to lead the nation of Israel, right? There's usually people behind him, but we see one individual character time and time again. What I love about the New Testament and what Jesus did for us on the cross and what he did by providing the Holy Spirit at Pentecost is that Jesus said, guess what? Now we all get to do it. We all get to be the Nehemiahs. We all get to be the Moseses because God lives in us. It's not about one man on the stage. It's not about one man in our community or our nation. It's about us as a people of God. We can be the movement wherever we are, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, we can see those celebrations happen wherever we are because the Spirit of God lives in us. For all of us who said yes to Jesus, we have that opportunity to lead people to Jesus and to see those home runs wherever we reside. What's that mean for us? I think it's important for us to realize that we have to practice as well, right? We have to practice our relationship with Jesus. It happens in a couple ways, and you can add to this list, but I think first and foremost, reading God's word is one. 
praying, not just for things that we need, but just praying and interceding for people around us. Remember the first week I talked about praying as Nehemiah prayed and as he sought God and as he fasted, that we do the same for those around us, for our communities, our teachers, our schools, our friends, our families. We pray that we get into community with others and life groups and accountability groups, taking those deeper because Sometimes it's not always easy in a, in a group of men and women to share things that only probably men should hear, right? Maybe struggles that men are dealing with or vice versa, what women are struggling with. But to find a, a lady or two that you can have accountability with or guys, a guy or two, that you can share those struggles with, those heartaches with. I think another opportunity for us is to serve others. Now, I'm not just talking about hopping on Facebook and giving some money to somebody's cause or, or handing out flyers at an event. I'm talking about really serving. And this is something that me and my family struggle with, but serving that takes you out of your comfort zone. Serving that challenges your normal so that you can see the other side of the world that we don't see. Serving others, your family, your neighbors, your friends, your community. See, I think at Great Oaks, I know for us and for me that we need to find more ways to hit home runs. I think for so long, the church, in a lot of ways, has set up every Sunday to be the center point to where we say, bring your friends to church and we'll tell them about Jesus for you. And that's not how it's supposed to be. It can work that way. But we're supposed to be the light wherever we are. The church is one element of that factor, but throughout our life groups, throughout our baseball teams and our softball teams, through our dance teams, the bands, the scholarship teams, right? The Scholastic Bulls. How come we can't use those elements to be the light? Not just to live a good life and be a good Christian, but for, to look for and pray for opportunities to maybe have a chance to lead somebody to Jesus, to be bold in those situations and to love them like Jesus loved them. There's a family that comes to Great Oaks that I, I, I think about and they've really stepped up and they've invited a young man into their home because he's, he's struggled in some areas and, and needed some help because of family. That's uncomfortable, right? Bringing somebody into your home that you don't know very well and giving them a place to live and feeding them and clothing them and dealing with all the mess. But it's a perfect example of who Jesus is, right? Getting in the mess. To love them. To be committed to them. To show them what Jesus is. And hopefully to lead them to Jesus. Now I'm saying that's what you need to do, but I think we all need to look for opportunities where we can open up our doors or we can... Meet them wherever they are to show them who Jesus is. 
And those will be tiny home runs. And nobody may never see that, right? Nobody may never know that that happens through you and your family. And that's okay because God does. And one thing I love that we, that we read in the New Testament that Jesus tells us, it says, if one person says yes to Jesus, all of heaven rejoices. That's a home run, isn't it? We don't get to see it. We don't get to be a part of what heaven ex- experiences, but we get to see that person's life changed. We get to see them take a whole nother direction into a whole nother world, and no matter what, their eternity is now secured, right? Because this life is just but a mist, but a small piece. And now they get to be with us and those we know in heaven. It's worth the commitment. It's worth the work. It's worth the time. Reminded of the verse in Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See, our commitment to daily practice leads to celebration. But let it be a reminder, but our complacency leads to corruption. So my challenge to us is let's keep practicing. Let's practice our faith outside of these walls. We have a world right now with COVID and all this stuff that is crazy, right? Not only is it fear, and confusion and chaos. It's everything the devil loves, right? It's everything the devil loves. But we have a God who's bigger. We have a God who hits home runs like no one other. And I have to be honest, I'm tired of the status quo because we need God to break through. We need God to break through. And this game of life that we may call it sometimes, it has a beginning and it has an end. And there's a lot of people at that end that aren't gonna meet Jesus. But it's our job, it's our duty, it's our practice to lead them to Jesus. He's the one that does the work. All we have to do is tell him. All we have to do is cheer, right? Say, we believe in Jesus. We know who Jesus is. He is the answer to all of your problems. But I think what happens, and I'm guilty of this myself, is we play the game here. And then we go back out to our homes, to our jobs, to our works, and we keep that to ourselves. And rather than sharing that with others and looking for opportunities to love them and maybe just play catch with them, get to know them. We like to stay in our holy huddles and the groups we know and not step out of our comfort zone. Don't let us be like the Israelites where we celebrate one thing and we just return and go back to the old ways again. Because our commitment to daily practice leads to celebration. And no matter what COVID may bring, 
I'm ready to hear stories of people's lives being changed because God did work through us. Not that we aren't, but I want to hear more. I want to see more. Let's pray for revival in Metamora, in Germantown, in Washington, in Peoria. And like I said the first week, it takes us on our knees, it takes that practice, that intercession daily. Say, God, open up a door for me today to lead somebody to you, to share your love with them. Let me today meet somebody to do that. Are you guys ready to practice? You ready to put that into play? Amen? You guys ready to do that? Not that you aren't already, but let's step it up if you are ready. Let's step up our game. And I know all the coaches in the room are like, I got it. I got it. Right, Steve? Because a lot of us have so many opportunities that I think we forget to be that light, to be that love daily. Let's pray. Dear God, I just thank you that, Lord, we get to celebrate such good things. Lord, I have to be honest, I'm so excited about what you're gonna do through Great Oaks. Because through every trial, God, as we see even in the Israelites as they face the opposition, there's a celebration in the end. Like Parker's hard work, it paid off in a home run, but God, I just pray that as we go forward together as a church, God, that there be celebrations all around us. God, that we get to celebrate those together. Though that we use Facebook and Twitter that we spread celebration rather than chaos. I rebuke the devil in the name of Jesus. You have no hold in this place. Fear be gone in the name of Jesus. And Lord, let your love and your mercy and your goodness, God, let it rain. It's time to move forward. It's time to grasp hold of what God has for us, each of us, God, and proclaim it, to see this community come to know you in real and true ways, God, to see them on their knees, interceding for other people, interceding for your spirit to come. God, help us all step up to that plate, God, and swing away as we know and as we tell people about you. God, let the celebration, let it ring out so loud and so strong that people want to know what's happening here and in our life groups and our service groups and our families, God, that people want to know what's the answer, what's the peace that you have, because I need it. What is that that you have? And we can point them all to Jesus. It's not me. It's nothing about me, but it's all about Jesus because he has changed my life. He has renewed me each and every day. He has drawn me to him. He has opened my eyes to the goodness of the sunrise and the sunset. He has made my life new because he's good. He's so good.
So as we get ready to stand and sing, as we sing this song out, raise a hallelujah, praise be to God, let it be a celebration. Whatever sin is in your life, ask the Lord to forgive you. Whatever it is in your life right now, fear, anxiety, doubt, worry, maybe it is a sin that you've been struggling with, I just pray in the name of Jesus that there be freedom, that today we get to celebrate in your own life what God has done, and that we get to leave this place changed changed and renewed and we're celebrating out the doors that people go what happened to you because something's different something's new god happened to me that's what happened jesus happened so let's sing this song out together like we've never sang it that we raise a hallelujah we give you praise god for all that you've done you are a good and gracious God. And we love you with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, God, and all our souls. But it's your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.